Today we're continuing in our series called Mosaic, our Lenten series, and, and um, we're reading through the book of Mark, and the children can go. I had like a two-week run where I remembered that, and my streak is gone. We're uh, working through the Mosaic series, picturing your life through the gospel of Mark, and we're reading through the book of Mark. This week we were reading in chapters 5 and 6, and you might remember last week we talked a little bit about some of the characteristics of the book of Mark, and uh, we experienced some of those this week. Chapter 5 begins with Jesus healing a demon, or uh, throwing out a demon out of a man, and And remember the idea of the messianic secret that Jesus wanted to keep his identity secret. But who was the one people group that always was able to recognize Jesus? The demons. So again, here in chapter 5, they recognize Jesus immediately. And and then Jesus goes on to heal some more people in the second half of chapter 5. But he tells them to tell nobody and to keep it a secret. And then in chapter 6, Jesus visits his hometown of Nazareth, and that goes really well, doesn't it? They really, really like Jesus in Nazareth. No, you can never go home to your home place and, and start doing miracles because they remember you as, that's Joseph's son, and what authority does he have? And, you know, so it doesn't go well, and he shakes the dust off his feet, and then he leaves Nazareth with some not-so-nice things. Sending out the disciples then on their first mission trip. And so he, he prays for them and sends them off with their instructions. And then we have an example of our big SAT word from last week, intercalation. You remember that word? Actually, it was the literary sandwich. That's where Mark likes to insert a story within a story. So we have Jesus sending off the disciples on their mission trip. And then we have this story of John the Baptist's death and his beheading in the middle of it, and then the disciples come back from their mission trip at the, at the, uh, in the middle of chapter 6 and tell Jesus all about what they did. Right before they have the miracle of the fish and loaves, and Jesus feeds 5,000 people out of a little sack lunch. And that takes us to our our text today. It's uh, Mark chapter 6, beginning on verse 45. And it's a very interesting text, I think. On on the surface, it's kind of a a kid's Sunday school story, Jesus walking on the water, there's a storm, Jesus is with them. It's a really nice, easy, simple story on the surface. And then you begin to look into it a little bit more, and and you begin to, to look at the other accounts. There's an account of a similar story in Matthew and John, and, and there begins to have some questions that arise and differences in the text. And um, one says they're starting from one place and going to another place, and another one says something a little bit different. And some things that don't quite always make sense. And, and then there's some allusions to Old Testament that we're going to look at today, and, and it becomes even more and more robust, the story. And so uh, how I prepare, my goal is to be working on, on three weeks out on sermons and, and kind of working on three sermons at a time. I'm not always quite there. I'm working right now about two weeks out. And so I start looking at the scripture and I read the scripture and I, and I start asking questions. And, and I work from a mind map and uh, my computer and I start putting things just all over the mind map. And, oh, this is kind of interesting. Let me throw that up there. And, and 
Saturday morning, Friday night when I went to bed, I did, the mind map looked like a, um, a Robert Rauschenberg. Is that, you know, his paintings, those drip paintings and splatter paintings? That's kind of what my mind map looked like. It made no sense at all. Had all this great information, all these, some quotes and some stuff from commentaries and a lot of questions, mostly questions I had about the text, but it made no sense. And I was struggling. Lots of great information, including I had the lyrics to Bob Seger's Against the Wind on there. Thank you, guys. That was my starting point because, you know, I'm a great theologian, and as soon as I read the text, that's the first thing that came to my mind. But it wasn't coming together, and I was struggling, and I was nervous, and didn't have any structure. I didn't have a hook to, uh, to put it together. And, and then yesterday during my prayer time in the morning, I was uh, finishing up my prayer time and then began to think of the text and, and just had my journal and was writing some things down. And, and what I struggled for nearly two weeks then came out in about, two, uh, about 10 minutes and um, really started putting together some pieces that were formulated around these three statements, these three phrases, and I was really convicted that the Holy Spirit was telling me that of these three statements, there's people here today, including myself, that may need to hear one or more of these simple, little, not very profound statements, but great truths, I think, of our God. So our text for today, our starting point is going to be Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 52. Hear the word of the Lord. Immediately, does that sound familiar? Mark likes the word immediately. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. When he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning, walking on the sea. He intended to pass them by, but, but when they saw him, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought he was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So, immediately, we begin to see some characteristics of Mark there, using the word immediately, creating a sense of urgency in verse 45. And, and then Jesus, continuing in that verse, says that he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while Jesus dismissed the crowd. And there's a, there's a couple of different thoughts of, of what might be happening. It, it could be that just, just normal things that was happening and, and Jesus was going to dismiss the crowd and they were going to go ahead and he'd catch up. But some commentators think that there was a division brewing amongst the disciples and Jesus. In the Gospel of John's account of the fishes and the loaves, at the end of it, it says that the crowd was getting into a frenzy because they wanted to make Jesus their king. So there's some commentators who believe that perhaps 
the disciples were frustrated that Jesus wasn't just accepting this, this reign as an earthly king, that these people wanted to make him king and, and he was resisting it. So some are, are speculating that Jesus sent them away because of this division and he wanted to take care of dismissing the crowd and deflating any kind of errors that were being set to make him their king. The second thing that commentators think is rather simple is that perhaps Jesus just wanted to be alone to pray. We see that certainly happen quite a bit in the scriptures where Jesus goes away to pray and perhaps he had just kind of had enough of, of performing miracles and serving and maybe had enough of all the disciples and said, okay, I need some alone time. You guys go on the boat across the lake and I'll catch up with you later. But either way, it's a significant thing because he sends his own vessel. He sends the only vessel that the disciples were traveling in, this boat, across the sea, and he's not with them. And then as they're rowing across the sea, the, Jesus is praying on the mountain. And it occurred to me, and I, maybe none of you may have saw this, and it's probably just my crazy mind, but Jesus is praying, and then they get caught in this wind this adverse wind and i began to think well certainly the the disciples in this this dangerous storm were afraid and probably praying and crying out to god and and is jesus on the mountain and are they somehow cosmically experiencing this connection of prayer that their god incarnate here on earth is hearing their cries through prayer certainly you could see them from the mountaintop down onto the lake, down on the Sea of Galilee. And, but was he also hearing them cosmically? And, and, and then it says, Scripture, that Jesus saw them straining against the wind, and, and Jesus came to them. Jesus walked out on the water toward their vessel. And verse 48 says, He intended to pass them by. On the surface, you can say, well, he intended to pass them by. Maybe he was kind of trying to go around them, not letting them see him. But a little deeper, this is an allusion to some Old Testament scripture. It's an allusion to a thing called a theophany, which is, is an appearance of God. It's, a, it's God revealing himself to us as humans, a visible manifestation of God. And it happens over and over in the scriptures. And in Exodus 33, we see this theophany, this God passing by with Moses. Moses said, show me your glory, I pray. And, Jesus, and, and God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one shall see me and live. So God passes before Moses, but took care to hide his face so that Moses would live. And then we see this also with Elijah. Elijah has just battled the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and now he's being chased all over Israel by Jezebel, Queen Jezebel. And Elijah goes and takes refuge. He hides in this cave. And... Uh, then an angel comes and says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting the mountains and breaking rocks and pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a great fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. And when Elijah heard the silence, he wrapped his face in his mantle and and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And then he came, then a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? God passes by Elijah, reveals himself in a manifestation, a visible, audible manifestation. And then in Job, we know, we know the story of Job, and Job was a good and righteous man, but he was experiencing some difficult times, to say the least. In Job 9, Job is reflecting on this, and he says, look, he passes me by, meaning God passes by me, and I do not see him. He moves on, and I do not perceive him. Job, in the lowest of low moments, is experiencing, he's realizing that God is around him, God is passing him by, God is showing himself to him, but Job is not able to see him. Theologian D. Cameron Murchison says this about Jesus, about passing by. He says, in Jesus, God's presence passes by and abides with God's people, abides with us, creating awareness of the divine reign that promises security even in the midst of tumult. So even in the midst of a storm, God passes by us and gives us peace. But that's not exactly what the disciples experienced on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus passes them by, and they give praise and honor and glory, right? No, they they cry out in terror because they think he's a ghost. The only place in the Gospel of Mark, the only place in the New Testament where that Greek word for ghost is even used, it just kind of pops out of nowhere, phantasm, Cry out in terror because you think he's a ghost. But then we have good old Mark and he says, but immediately Jesus says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And I don't know about you, but when I hear that phrase, do not be afraid, that's been, for about a year now, I've been hearing that over and over and I've written in a couple spots in in my note-taking, and it just, it just kind of keeps coming to me. And all these different parts of Scripture, from, from Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, it was actually called Abram then, so we hear Abram is told by, by God, it is I, do not be afraid. And then over and over throughout the Scriptures, we hear that same thing. Remember uh, the angel coming to Mary, Mary, do not be afraid. And then Joseph, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take this woman as your wife. And it goes throughout the Gospels. And even to the very beginning of Revelation, the voice of God says, it is I, do not be afraid. So Jesus says, take heart, it is I, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he gets into the boat in verse 51. He gets into the boat. 
this boat with these guys who were terrified. And, and later we learn they were utterly astounded and they had hardened hearts. Jesus gets into the boat and the wind ceases to exist. I don't know about you, but this is, you know, when we read this and, and you see this, this is all like screaming at us going, God is here, God is working around you. And then, but the disciples can't figure it out, can they? This is kind of one of those Three Stooges moments for me with the disciples, like, hello, can you not see God working all around you? But again, this is a characteristic of Mark that we're going to see as we continue reading through Mark, the disciples don't get a whole lot smarter. They, they still fail to see God working around them. And, you know, unlike us, who we are all totally aware of God working around us all the time, Right? sarcasm. It's one of my spiritual gifts. So the disciples aren't figuring out. For some reason, the disciples weren't either ready to see or hear or, or know who Jesus really is. And the good news for them and the good news for us is that God's grace comes in spite of our lack of understanding. Did you hear that? God's grace comes in spite of our lack of understanding. That's good news for me because I don't understand much. And I hope that's good news for you, that we don't have to understand, we don't have to see how God is always working to receive God's grace. And it's interesting, the disciples were quick to point out to others. I mean, they just got back from a mission trip where they were out serving and healing people and throwing out demons. The disciples were quick to point out Jesus' healing presence to others around them. But when Jesus comes to them, they don't see it. And they fail to receive God's presence and God's healing and God's care for themselves. You ever experienced that? You can tell everybody else about Jesus and God is present with you and God will heal you, but you can't quite grasp it for yourself? I know I have. So that leads us to these three statements that I, I again, I, I don't feel this often. And I don't, you know, it wasn't like I heard a voice, audible voice from God, but I, I just felt this presence that these three things, these, again, they're not profound statements. They're three simple statements. But I really felt like they, were, they needed to be said this morning that there's those of us, me included, that need to hear these affirmations. Maybe one of them is for you. Maybe all three of them, maybe two, but we need to hear these. The first is this, be obedient to where God is sending you. Be obedient to where God is sending you. Verse 45, we see that he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side. There is a reason that Jesus sent them ahead sent them and made them go in the boat and sent them ahead. And there's a reason that he sent them to the other side. I don't know what's on the other side. Maybe it's a, a, some speculate it was a ministry to a different people group, to the Gentile area. But there's a reason God sent them to the other side, sent them away. So be obedient to where God is sending you. Secondly, is this, God is with you in the storm. Whatever your storm is today, God is with you. Verse 48 says, When he saw that they were straining at the oars against 
an adverse wind. He came toward them early in the morning, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. And in verse 51, then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. Friends, God hears your cries. God sees your struggle, and God is present with you in your storm. And thirdly, always be watching for God. Always be watching for God. It's a practice I've been fond of in the last couple of years. When, when I moved into the Southwest District, it was a practice that was introduced to me, and, and uh, we've been integrated in, in parts of our life here and our staff when we gather on Tuesday mornings for about a half an hour we begin our meeting first with um, reminding ourselves of our mission vision and values and then we also look at we talk about God sightings it takes us about thir- at least 30 minutes if we even sometimes we take some bunny trails but right Greg wasn't calling you, I was just calling me out. But we take some bunny trails, but God's side, where is God, since we, since we last gathered around this table in the office, where has God been at work? Where are we seeing God working? Sometimes that's at a confirmation retreat, sometimes that is at uh, a response to the Alifea Trail, sometimes that is a simple response of, you know, I saw God present with my children when they were struggling at school or struggling in a relationship or something simple or something extremely profound. Where have we seen God working? So I'd encourage you to to always be watching for God. God is always working around us, and we just have to be aware that he's there. And in verse 49, we're reminded that the disciples didn't quite see it. But when they saw him walking in the seas, they thought it was a ghost. The disciples weren't ready to see God. They weren't watching for God. In their terror, in their panic, they thought we saw a ghost. So we need to always be watching for God to show up and for God to show off. God is going to always be present, showing up and showing off. But for some reason, the disciples weren't quite ready to see that. But we need to always be watching for God. So I want to I leave us with a couple of questions to reflect on. And, and maybe one of these speaks to you, or maybe more of them. The first is, where is God trying to send you? To what other side might God be trying to send you today? Secondly, what, what storm are you in today? Where are you straining at the oars, as Mark says? Where are you straining at the oars? And if you're in the midst of a storm, and I I want you to hear these words and take to heart these words this morning. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And Jesus got into the boat with them. Jesus got in the boat with you. And the wind ceased. Last question, where is God working around you? And if you, you don't know where God is working around you right now, then you need to pause and reflect and take some time and think about and, and just reflect on how God is working around you because God is working around us. 
regardless if we see it or understand it, God is working amongst us. And so we may need to stop and pause and say, what's keeping us from seeing God at work? What's standing in our way? And, and Lent is a great time to be reflecting like that. What's separating us? What's standing in our way between us and God right now? Imagine what our life might be like if we really chased after one of these ideas. How might our family's life be different? How, how might the lives of our friends and neighbors and colleagues be different? How might the life of this church be different? So what do you need to hear today? What do I need to hear today? Do we need to respond by being obedient to where God is calling us? Do we need to know that God is with us in the storm? Or do we need to be looking, always watching for God? Amen? Amen. One of the great ways that we can be watching for God and watching God at work and we can see God passing by is through the sacrament of Holy Communion. And we have this honor and privilege and luxury to experience this regularly.